Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Many of you have asked about the health of the Riverside finances during this period, so we thought today we'd just give you a quick update and let you know where we are with things. A substantial part of our income at Riverside does come through hiring our facilities for events and conferences, and obviously since lockdown we've not been able to do that, so we've, we've lost around £14,000 of budgeted income that would normally come to us through hiring out uh, Riverside. We've also lost around about uh, £25,000 of income that comes through our cafe, because obviously that's been closed since March. So there's been a chunk there of money that normally we'd expect to see coming in, which hasn't come uh, into Riverside. We can celebrate that during this time we've uh, continued to bless and support our community through ministries like Grow Baby and Pantry Project. And um, we've, we've supported over a thousand families to date through those ministries and will continue to do so. So that's really something to be celebrated. We've also reopened our cafe in a socially distanced way and we know that this isn't going to make us money. We know that actually it's probably going to cost us to do that, but we think it's the right thing to do to create a place for the church and the community to safely connect during this time. We've been blessed to have a core of of committed regular givers uh, at Riverside who've helped us to come this far as a church and we're really thankful for that. Uh, But today I want to speak to you, maybe you've never really thought about giving financially to support the church, maybe you've done that sporadically in the past, maybe you've never even thought it's your part to do that, maybe it's never even crossed your mind. But I want to encourage you today, uh, encourage everyone to steward what God has placed in their hands. Jesus says to us that he, as we seek first the kingdom, everything else will be added. And part of that adding is the part that we play as an individuals in, in stewarding what God has placed in our hands. We believe that if God has added you to Riverside, has brought you to be part of this family, then he's brought all of you. He's brought your, your testimony, your gifts, your time, your energy and your resources. And uh, we each have our part to play in supporting the ministry of the church. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says this, he says, set aside money each week in keeping with your income. And there's a call on each one of us to prayerfully consider, God, what do I do with the finances that you've placed in my hands? Do I prayerfully set aside money for ministry and for the ministry of the church? As I said, you may have never done this, you may have never thought about it, but there's an opportunity now in God in this new season to prayerfully consider how you might help serve the ministry of the church. It's very easy to do. We made it very easy for you to, to give. You can give through our, our, uh, the option above or you can give through our website. Or if maybe you prefer to give by cheque. Maybe that's the way you've always done it. It's very easy to do that. You can drop it in an envelope or you can pop it into Riverside. It'll all be gratefully received. We're not anxious about the future. We're not anxious about finances. But we do see an opportunity in God for each of us uh, to step up and to respond to what God is saying to us. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess, sorry, to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that's what we want to do today. We want to spur you on, we want to spur ourselves on to love and good deeds and continue to be the generous church God has called us to be. Well, hi, it's Simon. Welcome back to our series, e.g. Exploring the Book of Philippians. Today we're coming to a close on this series and if you've missed any of the previous talks you can catch them on our YouTube channel 
or if you prefer to listen to the audio, you can go to our website and uh, listen to the audio there or connect with our podcasts. Today we're looking at the closing section of this letter that Paul has written to his friends in the church in Philippi. As we've said before, Paul's in house arrest in Rome and uh, he's writing to his special friends. He planted a church in Philippi some 10 years earlier. It was his first church that was uh, planted on European soil and he has this special friendship with the people there. And so 10 years on, he's writing to thank them uh, for something, for a gift they sent him and a person who came to bring that gift to him. So let's start by reading the, the final section of this letter, Philippians chapter four. I'm going to start at verse 10 and read through to the end. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I want you to imagine a scenario for a moment. Imagine that you are maybe don't have much money, yet with some friends who are equally cash-strapped, you, you gather together to support a friend who's doing humanitarian work in Central Africa. You gather your money, you sacrificially give, and you create quite a significant amount and then you send this money to the friend. Uh, and then the friend, a while later, writes back. And rather than, at the top of the letter, thanking you for the gift and your generosity, they start to tell you how you can better serve Christ in your own context. And when they do get to the part about the gift that you've given, uh, they spend more time saying, actually, they didn't really need the gift. Actually, God has supplied all their needs, and uh, the thanks doesn't seem to be very strong coming through. Now, if you received something like that in a modern day context, you're probably quite miffed and rightly so that the person wasn't being grateful. And sometimes when people read Paul's letter to the Philippians, they can read that same modern context into it. They can believe that Paul, even though the Philippian church has been incredibly generous to him, the thanks doesn't come through until the last part of the letter. And, you know, is Paul really so thoughtless and so ungrateful about his relationship with the Philippians? Well, it turns out that actually the placement of Paul's thanks right at the end of the letter is the right place for it to be in the cultural context in which he was living. 
Paul was Paul's living in this Greco-Roman context. And in that context, relationships were much more formalized. The way people communicated and thanked each other was different. And so where Paul has put this thanks at the end of the letter rather than the beginning is exactly the right place for it to be. And the mistake we can often make when we read the Bible is we translate and we, we project our modern culture onto the ancient writings that we're reading. We, we think the Bible is just like any modern book or like a newspaper or a textbook. But in fact, it's a very different collection of writings. The Bible isn't one book. It's 66 books brought together, um, written over a period of about 1500 years. Many different authors, many different styles of writing. You've got history, you've got poetry, you've got songs, you've got gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. You've got letters to the churches like we're reading today. And the word Bible, in fact, means library or collection of books. So when we, we come to the Bible, we actually hold in our hands or on our phones a collection of 66 different books written over a, an extensive time period from many different authors. And one of the key things to understand when we come to the Bible is to understand that God actually didn't write it. The Bible isn't God-written. The Bible tells us it is, is God-breathed. And what that means is it's inspired by God through human writing. This is the language that Paul used when he wrote to uh, his friend Timothy. He said all scripture is useful and he was referring to the Old Testament writings and he said these writings are, are God-breathed. And the word he used there is theopneustos and it means the breath of God working through a human being when they, when they write. Now if, if Paul had wanted to say that all scripture is God-written, he'd have used the word theographos, but he didn't. He, he understood the partnership between humans and God, and the way that God inspired people by his Holy Spirit when they came to write. And so as, as Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, God was working through him by his Spirit and actually breathing through him to encourage that church in Philippi. And Paul, I'm sure, will be really surprised if he's here today to watch this video and learn that we're still studying his letter some 2,000 years later. But the truth is we can... That inspiration, that God breath that Paul received as he wrote this letter can still come through and encourage us today. But the key thing is that whenever we read scripture, whenever we read the Bible, we have to understand the cultural context with which it has been written. Let's begin by looking at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And it seems from Paul's comments here, there's been a, a dormancy, a gap uh, in the relationship between him and the church in Philippi. And then Epaphroditus comes from Philippi, bringing with him this financial gift of support for Paul, who's arrested in Rome. And the NRV translation loses a bit of the feeling here uh, when it says, renewed your concern. The New King James Version says it better. It says, your care for me has flourished again. And the term here, it's a gardening term, it's a botanical term. It means it's like a tree coming back into bloom after, in the spring after a dormant winter. And Paul is saying, you know, your, our relationship has bloomed again uh, through me receiving Epaphroditus and receiving this financial gift. And the at last Paul uses here, it's not an exasperated at last. It's not like, oh, at last you finally showed up. It's more, it's more imagine you and I were waiting for family or friends who are traveling from a distance and you are waiting expectantly for them to arrive. And that's the at last that Paul is using here. It's at last 
You know, I've been waiting for you. I, I knew you would come. And Paul knows that even though there's been a pause in the expression of the friendship between him and his friends in Philippi, he doesn't doubt their ongoing care and concern for him. He knows that the gap is not related to um, them suddenly deciding they no longer love him or care for him. He knows that in fact the gap is related to their opportunity uh, to show that concern. And let's pause for a moment. Let's imagine a pause in our relationships or a gap in our friendships. How do you feel uh, when maybe a friend or a family member, there's a pause or a gap in their expression of concern or love for you? How does that make you feel? Where do your thoughts tend to go? You might think that you've done something wrong. You might think you somehow upset that person and have chosen to stop communicating with you. You might think that that person has stopped caring for you in some way or, or, or is no longer uh, concerned about what's happening to you. Or perhaps you might even think that they've stopped liking you, that they've somehow dropped you for a new friend. And when there's a gap in our relationships, often our minds go to the worst case scenario. We, we think, oh, you know, we've done something wrong, well, that person stopped caring. But Paul has chosen to think differently about his friends in Philippi, even though there's been a gap in the expression of that friendship. He writes, you were concerned. And the word that Paul uses here has to do with the way we think, has to do with our mindset. And it's the, it's the verb phronio, and it means, it means how we choose to think. And Paul has already used it in this letter early on in, in chapter 1 in verse 7 when he said of the Philippians, it was right for me to feel this way about you. The word phronio is used again there. Paul chose to express the way he thought about them, the way he, he thought about his friends. And Paul has resolved to love his friends and believe that they love him even though there's a gap in the expression of that love, there's been a gap in the relationship of pause. He still determines to believe that they love him and they care for him. And so when the relationship goes dormant for a while and then it blossoms again with the arrival of Epaphroditus, then he, he, he knows that that relationship has been restored. And I think it's really important we can learn from Paul here because Paul sets his mind, he sets his mind to think, there must be other circumstances in play that I don't know about that are limiting my friend's ability to express their love or concern for me. And I think that's a really powerful mindset to take hold of. If we could adopt Paul's mindset in our modern relationships, so when there's a pause or a gap in our friendship or our family connection, rather than turning to a, a kind of at the worst case scenario, let's imagine we could, like Paul, determine to believe the best about that person, believe the best and, and recognize we can't walk in their shoes. We can't necessarily understand what they're going through or the pressures they're facing or the challenging. We can choose to believe the best. You know, when the WhatsApp message that we sent 30 seconds ago, we know it's been read because the blue, the ticks have turned blue and that person hasn't yet responded and straight away our thoughts turn to rejection and frustration. Imagine rather than doing that, that we choose to believe the best about that person. We choose to have the mindset that yes, we know their love and concern for us is still strong. They aren't just ignoring me, perhaps there's something else in play. And then the problem is that culture has us on a hair trigger. The slightest misunderstanding, the slightest missed expectation, all these tiny gaps that we, we come across in modern culture where everything happens instantly, we have instant 
access, we have instant gratification, we have instant communication. If there's a gap or a pause in that, then instantly we feel something's gone wrong in that relationship. And we feel, you know, all our insecurities come out. You know, perhaps that person's really decided they don't like me or perhaps um, they don't really love me, they never really cared for me. All these things come to play. But Paul remembers that his friendship is based not on culture, not on circumstance, but upon Jesus Christ. And he is certain, he's convinced, in fact, that the same spirit that's in him is in his friends in Philippi. And that spirit of Christ will hold them together even when there's a gap of expression in that relationship. He knows that Jesus turns people upwards and outwards. He knows the same God that's done that in his life is working the life of his friends. And he knows that will bridge the gap of that, that pause in their relationship. He's no longer slave to insecurities. He's no longer slave to circumstance. He can trust in God and he can trust in his friends in God too. And maybe during this period of, of this pandemic, you've experienced a pause in a relationship with a friend or a family member. Maybe your thinking has turned negative as you've reflected on that relationship. Maybe you've, you've thought some of the things that we've mentioned. I want to encourage you today to, to invite Christ into that relationship. And to, as you think about that friend, why not pray a blessing on them? Why not pray, um, you know, believe the best, believe the best that maybe something has happened you know nothing about. They're facing challenges or pressures you don't understand or can't conceive. And it's not to do with you. It's to do with just a lack of opportunity that they've had to express their love and concern for you. Maybe there's other things in play that are limiting their ability. Just like the Philippians with Paul, he said, I knew, I know that you have this concern for me. and I've held that in my heart, even as I've waited for some form of connection. So maybe pray a short prayer of blessing in your heart today for a person that you're thinking about where maybe there's been a pause in that relationship. Okay, let's move ahead. Let's look from verse 11 to 13. And Paul, he's saying here, he's, he's doing a balancing act between being thankful for his friend's gift, but also trying to express his utter dependency on Jesus Christ. And he starts with this qualifier. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. We don't know how much need Paul was in. We don't know whether he, was, he had no money for even food because in a Roman prison, often you had to sort of source your own meals it wasn't like a welfare system in place, so we don't know just how dire his circumstances were. Uh, or maybe his need wasn't as great uh, as we think. But he, the basic thing he says here, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Now, we, it appears that Paul's been quite stoic at this point. Um, stoicism was a, a philosophy that was around at the time of Paul. It flourished in the Roman and Greek world right up to about the 3rd century AD. And many Stoics like Seneca, we can see in this picture here, he lived at the same time as Paul. He was a philosopher who, who believed and taught that contentment in life lay in self-sufficiency. But where the Stoics' self-sufficiency and contempt was supposed to come from within, Paul's came from without. It came from his relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul wasn't trying to be Stoic and independent like Seneca taught. He was saying, I'm totally dependent on Christ. And that's why... I'm not in need in the way you might think I'm in need. Because Paul and the Philippians were both in Christ, neither was dependent upon the other for only what God could provide. And that freed Paul up to trust God for all his needs. It freed the Philippians up to trust God for all their needs because they were both in Christ. And that's where their relationship was formed. 
So Paul receives the gift that comes with Epaphroditus, the financial support. He receives that with joy. But he says, I'm not needy in the natural sense. Uh, I'm overjoyed because actually this, the, the chance to bring this gift gave our friendship opportunity to re, to re-blossom and to emerge again. And for many of us, friendships are based upon what we can get from the other person. Friendships can become transactional. And if our friendships aren't based in Christ, then they can turn that way quite easily. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. There's a quid pro quo in terms of, of how we relate to one another. But having Jesus at the centre of our relationships, it frees us from having to get from another person what only God can provide for us. If our needs, sorry, if our, our security and identity is in Christ, then we don't try and get that from another person. We're free to relate to them uh, in a much more healthy and non-transactional way, just as Paul was advocating here. So again, have a think for a moment today. Are you in a relationship that has just become transactional? Are you trying to get from another person what only God can provide for you? Are you trying to get a sense of significance or identity from someone? Are you trying to get from them a sense of value or worth? God is the one who ultimately provides that for us. And so we can ask God, show me if that's in the midst of any of my relationships. And again, let's invite God in to help him um, recenter ourselves on him, enabling us to relate to others in a healthy way. Paul tells us he's, he's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He's experienced a whole range. He's been in need. Uh, he's had plenty. He's been well-fed. He's been hungry. Um, all these things um, have been present in Paul's life. And when he says he's been in need, the word actually is to be humbled. And this is a very unstoic statement by Paul. The, the, and Paul might have used it here to sort of show that actually what he was, the independence that he was experiencing in Christ wasn't linked to Stoicism, which, which was popular at the time. Stoics loved to revel in, in a sense of um, uh, adversity. You know, they didn't mind being in want. They, you know, the fact they could be independent and, and stand firm, even though they didn't have much. But what a Stoic wouldn't want to do is to be humbled. They would see that as humiliating. But Paul is actually saying, I'm humbled as Christ was humbled. I'm following the same story arc that Jesus followed. He came as the servant king. He came to serve and to humble himself, as we read about earlier on in this letter. So Paul is saying, this is where me and the Stoics are a million miles apart, because I'm following that same story arc of humility. I don't mind being humbled, because my, my, my Lord Jesus was also humbled, and I'm following his example, I'm following his story. So Paul's experienced plenty, and he's experienced want. He doesn't revel in one or the other. He's not complaining about what life hands him. Um, he didn't see self-denial as a way of sourcing contentment as some of the, uh, another philosophy called the cynics, they were around at the time and they, and they saw self-denial as a way of sort of a higher contentment. Paul doesn't want to go the way of the cynics and he doesn't want to go the way of the stoics. He just receives the life that comes to him and he's able to be content in that because of Christ. And that's really important again for us because often we feel bashed around by life circumstances. Our joy, our sadness can rise and fall depending on what happens. But Paul says, I've learned a secret and that secret is Jesus. And in Jesus, I can, I, can, I can find a contentment that's not based upon what happens to me or what happens around me. I'm centered in him. 
And he concludes this section by saying, I can do everything through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. Now this is one sentence in the Bible that's often taken out of context in all sorts of different ways. Christians have applied this, this phrase, I can do everything through him who gives me strength to wanting to achieve in sport or wanting to advance their careers or wanting to pass an exam or wanting to, to just get stuff. They've used this verse almost like a Jesus power up to say, I can just apply this verse to this thing and that will actually get me where I need to be. But as we said before, when we read the Bible, context is really, really important. And the context here is that Paul has found Jesus to be sufficient for him, whatever life throws at him. Whatever, whatever comes to him, whether he's in need, whether, whether he's in plenty, Jesus is sufficient for him in the midst of those circumstances. Paul is a man in Christ. And because of that, he'll take whatever life brings. He'll take whatever Jesus brings. He's, he's a man in Christ, regardless of the circumstances that happen around him. That's not going to shift him or change him. He's content with who he is in Jesus Christ. And remember, this letter is all about examples. That's why we call it EG, for example. And Paul is giving us this little autobiographical moment here to say, look at what's possible in Jesus. Look at what I've done. Look at the contentment I've found. Look at my life, Philippians. And we can look in now on this letter some 2,000 years later and receive the same encouragement. Paul says, I've found the secret. The secret is Jesus to a contented life. Let's continue on with verse 14 to 17. Paul sees their gift as evidence of partnership with him in the gospel. And Paul cites four aspects of this in this section of the letter. Firstly, there's this mutual giving and receiving of benefits that we've talked about that happened in the sort of Greco-Roman culture. Back then, no one could really understand genuine friendship unless there was some sort of mutual benefit taking place between the parties. But since these benefits could kind of get reduced down to just purely transactional, people like Seneca, who we mentioned earlier, they actually wrote articles. They actually wrote essays on how friendship should be conducted. And Paul is sort of dipping into that language now. His use of giving and receiving implies that there has been this, this transactional element in their friendship, but that is not based upon... Um, some sort of selfish interest is based upon Jesus. And the second thing we see here is how their partnership in the gospel has gone right back to Paul's first sort of moments in Philippi. A strong bond formed there, a special relationship that made their, their connection really significant. And he says, not one other church shared with me. And we're not sure here whether Paul is saying, I'm disappointed that other churches haven't got on board like you have. Or, or perhaps Paul is actually saying, we have a unique relationship. We have a special relationship. This was the first church that Paul planted on European soil. Um, it says in the letter to the Corinthians, he worked there with his own hands. He kind of had a vested interest in that place. And so Paul had this special relationship with his friends in Philippi. And what I take from this is it's okay to have special friends in God. Sometimes Christians think we have to have everybody the same and treat everybody the same. And yes, we are called to treat everyone with grace, we are called to love and to serve people, but we need special friends with us as we do this journey of life together. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had three even closer to him. Paul had these special friends in Philippi. And we all need trusted companions on the journey, don't we? We need people that believe the best about us. We need people that um, will support us regardless, will stand with us, will walk with us. So again, I want to encourage you today to have to, to to thank God for those friends if you have them 
But if you don't have them, you need to find them in the Lord. Have those trusted companions who can come alongside you uh, and walk with you in this gospel journey. And Paul then finally mentioned that, that real friendship is outworked practically. Um, he says that he was all treated in Thessalonica, but the Philipp Philippians came through again. They provided for him. They provided for his needs. They provided material aid for him. But just as previously in the earlier verses, he's quick to point out that he doesn't desire their gifts. What is of real value to him, what he really desires, is that something be credited to their account. And he's using kind of a financial metaphor here to say what he really values about his relationship with the Philippians is seeing them progressing God. You know, he planted that church, he took the gospel there, and his hope was for fruitfulness and maturity to sort of blossom in that place. And that's what's happened. And as they've been generous, as they've served him, as they've partnered with him, he's seen the evidence of the gospel seed that he planted blossoming and growing and becoming fruitful. And now he uses this financial metaphor to say, that's been credited to your account, God sees that. And it's like you're depositing things in heaven that are of heavenly value, of eternal value, that have been added to your account in God. And that's what I really desire. So he's grateful for their financial support, but what he really wants is to see them continue to grow in God. And then he continues through verses uh, 18 and 19. And these are the final sentences in Paul's letter uh, to his friends about the gift. That had a clear evidence that, you know, whoever's accused Paul in the past of being thankless, it's all in here. Paul uses uh, rich verbs to, to indicate how much the gift is valuable to him, how much their friendship is valuable to him. He said, I've received full payment. And again, he's using this financial metaphor to say, you've paid me and now my obligation is back to you as a friend. Um, I've got this, you, the ball's back in my court now to, 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 to bless you and to support you. He says, you've supplied more than enough. I'm amply supplied. And, and then he describes the gift as a fragrant offering, bringing pleasure to God, which is a beautiful phrase. And now Paul writes something, which is one of the most significant things in this letter. Paul feels the obligation of friendship is back with him. But what can he do? He's in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. He appears completely unable to repay them in any way. But he does the best thing here. He says this, he assures them, my God will pay you back. My God will meet any obligation that I have. My God will meet all your needs. And he promises them God will cover any debt. God will meet and fill up any need they have, material, emotional, physical. His God will meet their needs in Christ Jesus. And if we think about it, there's no better way for Paul to finish this letter. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knows that God will come through for the Philippians, that Jesus will be there for the Philippians. And that's what this letter has been all about. It began in Jesus and now it concludes in Jesus. For Paul has said to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we could paraphrase the final statements of this letter in this way. We could say, every need of yours, according to the wealth that is in God's, in, in God's glory, will be made available to you in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, whatever obligation I now have in our friendship, God will take care of that. I can't do it because I'm in prison, but my God will come through for you. I have every confidence in that. And as Paul writes this, he has this revelation again of who God is, and he bursts into worship. He says to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen. And that's this revelation and response cycle that we experience in worship. As Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he writes to encourage his friends, 
in Philippi. Again, he kind of, the heavens part, he gets a vision, a reminder of who God is, and he can't help but write worship in the midst of this letter. And it's the same for us, isn't it? When we think about the love that God has lavished on us, you know, our heart should turn to worship. Our heart should turn to thankfulness. So as we close, now all that remains are Paul's final greetings to the people around him. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greeting. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So Paul extends a greeting to all God's people because this letter may have been carried around and read by different believers in different places. So he sends, sends greetings to everybody. Uh, but there's a surprise waiting for us in the final part of this letter. Paul sends special greetings to those in Caesar's household. And this is a greeting to those who lived in Nero's palace in Rome, where Paul was. This was a Domus Aurea. This was Nero's incredible golden house that he'd built. And Paul says there's, there's family members and maybe slaves within that palace that have come to know Christ. I had the privilege uh, a couple of years ago of visiting Rome and visiting uh, the excavations of the Domus Aurea. They managed to, to basically excavate down uh, and find Nero's Golden Palace. And you can go down there and explore uh, all the rooms and see what was there. And also go on a virtual tour and see just the splendour of what that palace was like. So I thought I'd play a quick video now so you get an idea of where the, some of the recipients of Paul's letter might have been. Watch, watch this video and have a look at Nero's Golden House. Isn't that amazing? And so the Philippians wouldn't, um, that, would, that wouldn't be lost on the believers in Philippi. When they received that and read that, they would have thought, wow, Paul is at the heart of the Roman Empire. He's at the heart of the expression of the dominion and power uh, of Caesar, who proclaimed to be Lord and worshipped. You've seen that, maybe that 30 metre bronze statue present in that video. That's how, how Caesar saw himself, as, as the sun god, as, as the one to be worshipped. Yet there's Paul in prison, in Rome, and the gospel is beginning to leak out. The gospel is beginning to affect the very heart of the Roman Empire. The gospel is escaping and changing people. And once again, Paul is turning the world upside down through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And people in Caesar's household are coming to know Christ. You know, you might think you're in a really tough place to share the gospel. You might think you're in a really difficult place, but Paul was in the, probably the worst place to try and communicate the gospel. Caesar was the one to be worshipped, not Jesus. And yet Paul, through his relationship and through his example, was bringing people to Christ. And so take encouragement today from what Paul achieved in Rome. Take encouragement from that and maybe think about where God has placed you. The gospel is up to the job, no matter how hard it seems. Jesus can change hearts and touch lives. And, and you can trust in that today. So as we come to close on this series, we can see that Paul's letter starts with a greeting of grace and peace. And it's bookended now by these last verses of, of, of Paul. Uh, he says in, in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And for Paul, as we've seen, everything is Christ. And there's no better way to finish this letter that he's writing to his dear friends. And all the way through, Paul has drawn us back to the example of Jesus and the example of Jesus working out in his life. And so now it's our turn. 
as we explore this letter, what, as we look at these examples, you know, what, what is God calling us to? How is Jesus to be expressed in our lives, in our story? So let's pray and open our hearts and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that these writings are available to us, that we can look in like a window into history and we can see Paul's special relationship with his friends in Philippi. And just as he wrote to encourage them, God, and just as you breathe through his writings, God, I pray you'd breathe on us today by your spirit and you'd encourage us, Jesus, to live the life you've called us to be, to be the example you want us to be to our friends and our families and our colleagues. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed uh, our Philippian series, e.g. exploring that book together. We hope it's encouraged you. Uh, next week we start a new series called I Am. We're looking at the seven statements that Jesus made about himself in John's Gospel. So we're really looking forward to doing that together. So just we just pray you have a great week. We pray God will give you grace and strength for the situations that you face. We also want to encourage you to ask for more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus said, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So why not this week, every day, ask for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to fill you with grace and love for all the different situations that you find yourself in. So thanks for joining us today. Have a great week. We look forward to catching up with you soon. God bless and take care. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.